back in on Canuck Central. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's Satin Bick here on Canuck Central. We are going to be joined by our good friend, the Honey Badger, Yannick Hansen, coming up in a few minutes' time. And as always, your thoughts are welcome and appreciated in the Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 650-650. And Bick, before we get to Yannick, let, let's reel a couple of these off. I know people are super excited, also scared, oh, yeah. nervous, and all sorts of thoughts now that the Canucks have opened up cap space by buying out Oliver ekman Larson. Dan on the plateau, OEO buyout is just as much a signal that the team is sending EP40, that they are desperate to be a playoff team. Uh, this one sat your glorious optimist. However, the cap space already burning a hole in Rutherford's pocket. Uh, he will spend it sooner <laughs> or later. We can hope that transaction, only hope that the transaction will make logical sense. And a lot of uh, trade ideas coming into the inbox that we, honestly, we've never seen some of these ideas. So we'll try to get to some of them yeah. uh, in the next segment. Great ideas. Uh, a lot of excitement, of course, because the Canucks have pulled off a trade. And it's time to talk, I mean, not a trade, but a buy, a big move. They made a big move. And that is buying out Oliver ekman Larson. And to talk about that, let's welcome in Yannick Hansen. And he's, as always, brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford and Pocahontas, and Magnuson Ford and Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. And Yannick, how about some news finally? Hey, the Canucks have cleared up some cap space by buying out Oliver ekman Larson. First of all, were you surprised when you heard the team was willing to spend the money and fork it over to get him off the books? Um, I wouldn't say so. It, they've been talking about this cap space, and, and it was probably the only way that you could clear up significant cap space um, without subtracting pieces that could potentially help you. Um, so again, it was one of the, the avenues. That being said, obviously, uh, this is going to hurt in, in Frank's pocket, and I'm sure Jim is not on Christmas cards with him anymore. But yeah, it's uh, it turned out to be a, a horrendous trade in a lot of different ways, for sure. So... What was your immediate reaction when you saw this then? And, and, and what does it mean as an organization when they've decided to do this? Um, it, it, for, for me, it, was, it feels like they have an intent to actually push towards victory. Well, I think we saw that with just how they acted this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and late last year when they came out and said, no, the playoff is next year and, and that's the goal. Well, if that's the goal, you have to improve and you ha- can't have an anchor on your, on your blue line like he was. So, so you needed to make some changes there. Um, so again, it, it's down that path. They're, they're trying to squeak into the playoff and hopefully turn into Florida. Um, I, I'm guessing, uh, because turning this team into a, to a powerhouse like Vegas is not going to happen overnight. Um, then you would have need, needed a, a different route. Um, they've chosen this one and now they're hoping that they can get into that, uh, uh wild card spot, preferably, mm-hmm. and, and then get in and get hot. That's probably the best case scenario for them. Um, and that's, that's what they're gunning for. So in order to get there, you, you need to make some significant move because they were pretty far from there. Um, and again, like I said, this is one of the only reasons or ways you could clear up significant cap space in order to bring in players that would hopefully push you towards that goal. And, you know, Bick brought up the point about, you know, getting out, like clearing out the rot in terms of the problem. And it's clear that OEL couldn't play in the top four role that he was asked to. He wasn't good on the PK, wasn't going to be the defensive ace. And when you have a guy making that much money, that type of presence, and if the best way to work around him is to try to make it fit and work around it, like how positive is it, is it just to be able to get rid of that? Not to get, you know, in terms of just a bad guy out of the room, but to get rid of that type of problem from the organization. 
Yeah, it is because again, you you need guys pulling their weight, and he, and he wasn't. Um, he was obviously brought in to be the guy. He was in his heydays in in Phoenix, um, and again, that that was a long stretch. You'd hope then, okay, come in, play as a number two defenseman behind Quinn Hughes, and soak up some of that minute. But he couldn't do that either. Now all of a sudden, you have. Uh, an elephant in the room, if you will, because you have so much cap space allocated here to, to a player in such a vital position that aren't aren't doing what they're supposed to, and, and therefore your your team is suffering. Um, it, it's it's hampering your your ability to make any kind of moves, whether they're they're lateral or up or down. Um, you, you're stuck. Um, so now, yeah, you you bite the bullet. Not right now. Uh, right now, you're free and clear, if you will, from a organizational standpoint as the the cap hit next year is almost negligent um you will get hurt a little bit later on in these years hopefully the cap will rise and uh it, it won't be as significant but but as for next year you, you you're free you're you're free now you have a little bit of wiggle room hopefully you'll bring in uh, the players you're 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 looking for that you're thinking can push you over the top um but but again it's uh it, it's tough when you have a player that are making that kind of money in the dressing room, but you aren't able to play him because it's not like players are looking at this player and like this guy shouldn't be playing and all these things. But it almost gets to that point, and and the, it's just a bad another bad thing to deal with in the dressing room, if you will. What's going to be the toughest aspect to replace? Now he did play a lot of minutes when he did play, and and is it the PK role? Like if if you're looking at this and they have to go get a left-handed D-man in the second pair, like what's the primary prototype that you look at and say this is the type of guy they have to go get? There's going to be no issues whatsoever replacing him for what he provided, um, and and that's that's maybe putting it too blunt. But again, he was not very good on the penalty kill. He was not very good five on five. He was not very good on the power play. So anybody you bring in should be an improvement, if you will, yeah. and and hopefully at a cap hit that helps. Um, that being said, you you have. You have Quinn Hughes, you have Philip Heronic. You've got to be thinking those two are your puck movers now. Please do not go out and get another small-skilled defenseman that can move the puck and quarterback the power play and all these things we might hear about because they have that. There, there's not enough power play minutes um offensive minutes to go around for these defensemen anymore no we we need somebody who can defend you need somebody who can clear in front of the net you need somebody you can actually play and not worry about who's on the ice when at what point on the road in vegas in phoenix doesn't matter we just roll our our six d's out and we're fine Please get somebody who can defend, somebody we know, first PK off the bat, you're out and get the job done. Somebody who will block some shots, um, hopefully add a little bit of physicality as well. Um, that that type of mold. You you have the puck mover, you have the quarterback, you have these things. Go get something else. Go sense, get something that complements these guys. If they're able to get that type of lefty defenseman who complements them, and let's say they're able to get a third-line center who can PK and, and provide what they need, how much would that improve the team, do you think? It, it should improve them a little bit. Is it enough? That That's the question. Um, you, you finish, what, 24th, 25th. In order to make those that jump and into a playoff spot, I don't know if... if if seven and a half million, eight eight and a half with the rise in the cap is enough to to fix that gap, 
Um, I don't know if you can ask more from PD, more from Quinn. Um, hopefully a full season of, of Demko will, will do some wonders as well. Um, but, but there are, like, we're, we're talking about three holes right now. We're, we're talking about two defensemen and a center. Um, preferably good players. You're not going to find that for eight and a half million. So, again, we're, we're, we're looking for somebody coming in from the left wing out of nowhere and, and, and filling a void you, you didn't expect in order to get you over the hump. Which is the most important one to solve then uh, first? This hopefully the defensive side because again that that should be a long-term mm-hmm. fix the third line center you bring somebody and it doesn't work out okay then we'll try again next year just don't lock somebody up for four years uh like dickinson and hoping he's the and then then you gotta pay to get rid of mm-hmm. him no like if you're not a hundred percent sure and i know there's no hundred percent but if you aren't fairly certain this is the guy proven track record got the numbers with him and all these things um make sure it's a short-term thing so uh if it doesn't work out uh, one and done and, and then we're done with it um uh, and then the defenseman uh, you you, you got to be a little bit sure hopefully somebody who fits in that mold age wise uh contract wise and all these things somebody you can you can build with where the third line center if you're on the cusp of a cup a couple of years from now, you can add a 32-year-old, no problem, and play that role where it's a little bit more difficult to find that defenseman. Mm-hmm. So like the defensive side, they, they, they have to fix that. We, we've been talking about it for three years now, um, and, and nothing has been done. Uh, they've bought out OEL, but again, very little. I mean, they, they brought in Hironic, but we haven't seen him play. Um, so, so get get that done. Build from the back end out, uh, and then see what can what can be done. Well, and you know the, the way you know we've been kind of discussing it in the first segment was clearly the team needs more than just one defenseman and a third line center. Like big picture wise, they have to replace Myers long term in the top four on the right side. So you need a righty defenseman and a lefty defenseman. You need a third line center plus you know as we talked about when it comes to the construction and roster of this team, they need another impact winger, at least a guy who can forecheck, has some speed, has some size, has some bite, can legitimately play in your top six. But at least. Can you solve those four things potentially over the course of a couple of years? And if you can do that, can you be in contention truly in a couple of years? Um, the Tyler Myers, I'm not worried about because that's uh, adding by subtracting. Yeah. Well, once he leaves, you get six million, and he should be able to find what he does at, at that value or, or player who do what you're supposed to be of that, if you will. Um, so, so I'm not too worried about that one. But what? When you're when you're starting to summering it up here, like it's four, five, yeah. six pieces we're talking about, mm-hmm. and I, I just don't see it happening outside of them going out and expending all these draft picks and things that haven't worked out in the past. Uh, like so, it's like uh, still again, it's it's early in the summer, and a lot of a lot of stuff can still happen and all these things. But it's like I just don't see the. The, the road to the success in playoff right now uh, with, with how much stuff that needs to be done, in my opinion, based on where they were last year. And we had players that were performing very well last year. Petey took a, a tremendous step forward. Uh, Quinn Hughes kept playing at, at that number one rating. Um, Demko was playing at points when he was playing, but it, it's like... I don't see that much more improvement. Are we expecting more than 80, 82 points out of JT um, and these things? And then we're still looking at the win, wings and all these holes. So it's like, um, yeah, again, prove me wrong, uh, but, but uh, I have my doubts. 
what do you think the player reaction uh, is after a day like today, like the other teammates? They know it. They know it. It's it's going to help us in the short term uh, and hopefully not hurt us too much in the long term. Uh, so it's one of those things. I, I don't know how tight he was with the group. I mean, he hadn't been there that mm-hmm. long. Uh, so it's uh, it's what happens every off, off season. Guys come, guys leave, and that's just the way it is. So I don't see any tears shed any, anywhere there. You would have been on the team when uh, Ballard was bought out, right? And like that would have been 2013? Ballard and Booth. Yeah, and Booth was in 2014. Um, just, yeah, just... Like, do you take this as like a statement of intent of what the team is trying to accomplish? Um, not really. You know what they're trying to do, but again, you're players underperforming based on their contracts, and, and then you just you you know moves have been made. So it's like it's part of the business. Um, and again, if if you're tight with guys that leave the room, then it hurts a little bit more. But but we also know that that this is a performance based industry, and and if you aren't well, um, you you're out the door in a hurry, and, and somebody else will come in and and try to uh, to fill the shoes, if you will. So like I said, it it doesn't it doesn't hurt that much um, when it happens because you you're kind of aware it might be coming because like you, you're not you're not an idiot you're not stupid mm-hmm. you, you can see that this guy is making too much money for what he provides and we're a team that are not just needing to need to reach the cap for in order to just get over because then like why would you move around well just let him play it out kind of thing mm-hmm. but if you're trying to make the playoff well you need you need every single dollar working for you and it aren't and that's just the, the direction it's going everybody knew they're not going to be able to move this contract and give somebody else to take it so the only other avenue is the buyout it, it's just whether or not uh, Aquilini has the stomach to uh, to pay a, mm-hmm. a guy 20 million to not play for you um, that, that that's kind of the only thing that that's up in the air well and you know and that's the thing you're right I mean it, it comes down to how willing ownership is to cut that check and the the, the benefit of using this buyout and instead of let's say trading down from 11 to move Garland or giving up assets to move off money means you can save those assets for other deals so when it comes to the type of moves the Canucks might be looking to make I mean they have all sorts of options all of a sudden with, with the things they have available to them would you be reluctant to go after some bigger names with that or do you think that's something that they should be looking at? I mean, they were, you know, obviously looking at a guy like Damon Severson who ends up going to Columbus. You know, that, that, that type of player making a lot of money. We've seen that not work out here in the past. But what do you think of, of perhaps using the money and maybe some of the assets to go after somebody significant instead of making minor moves? Yeah, but then we comes back to to you summarizing. We need four or five players, mm-hmm. and you bring in a significant guy. He's going to eat it all up. Um, and then if one guy is not going to be able to carry the load, so that that's where you're you're still bargain hunting um, unless you can make some lateral move where you move the three, four, five million out, and then you bring the same thing back. But the guy you bring back all of a sudden catches fire and become a, a, a legitimate player for you. Um, otherwise, you're 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 scraping in to see if you can find something uh, to fill all these holes because we're we're not looking to compete in three years. We're looking to compete next year. So, so you need you need you need quantity and you need quality, uh, and, and that's tough. When yeah, you just cleared up seven and a half million, but but again, it's gonna run out of you real fast as soon as you start 
paying these players that you're hoping to become your your third and fourth defenseman like it, it's gone in a hurry uh it, it doesn't really matter who you're getting if it's a defensive ace you saw what um Gavrikov signed for in, in LA it's six million for a guy who produces zero offense um and then that boom it's gone now now, now you have two and a half left uh and who are you going to bring in for that uh, to fill the the rest of the holes here so again it's uh it, it's a positive that they cleared out this money going into next year when did you want to make the playoff because it will give you the option to make the team better no question about that will they be able to make the team good enough that that's the next question and again obviously there's more moves to be made that can be made that can clear this stuff up um but again, uh, until we see these things, um, you're still kind of on, on the on the back burner as to how many steps forward they can they can take from uh, from this. So they made one big decision on Ekman Larson today, and news this week, and and they've made it official that Ethan Bear will have surgery. Now he's going to be out for up to six months. Um, that's the next big decision because he's a restricted free agent. You know, we were talking yesterday and. Is there a case to, to to bring him back? Like, what do you do when you're pushing the situation where a player might not be back till January? Yeah, that that and just to take that one in depth here, that that's the reason the teams don't like World Championship. Um, it, it's the risk of of guy going there, getting hurt, and, and now you're losing a player that you're kind of expecting, counting on. Um, to be a part of, of your team. Um, again, Ethan Bear is not a number one defenseman in any shape possible, but let's say that would have been Quinn Hughes that, that goes to, to World Championship and get, gets a shoulder injury mm-hmm. like that. Um, it, is the, it is the Kravit that exists with that. That being said, rotating back to him, again, it's a tough one. You hope that uh, with him being out like this, you have a couple of more days here to uh, to negotiate before you have to to make a decision on him. I believe it's July 15th or something like that, um, and then see if you can maybe sign him a couple more years and then at a at a better cap hit with him than being safe and secure. Um, and if he's uh, asking for the key to the vault then uh, hey you're you're going to be out for six months now and you, you're not coming back at 100 percent. so like good luck but then again you, you're saying goodbye to a younger piece that you kind of liked but again that that's the thing with injuries they uh they catch up to you okay so in terms of whatever impact we can also expect from him too you know to the point that you made and you know i'm of the thought we talked about this yesterday that at best if he's coming back in december you can maybe hope that uh, you get the best version possible from Ethan there sometime, let's say, by February or so after a couple of months. And that means, you know, for a guy who's not going to have an offseason and just be rehabbing, jumping into the season late, when it comes to a guy who's trying to get a long-term deal and give you a big contribution, what can you realistically expect from Ethan there next season? Yeah, that, that not, not a whole lot. Um, and when they give you that timeline, like... You, you, a lot of times you're not beating that timeline. We we see, oh yeah, a guy comes back three weeks. He was told to be out for four weeks. Yeah, he's he's coming back early, a week early. That's great. Mm-hmm. But, but he's coming back at seventy percent, and he he's not a hundred and two percent when when he comes back at that point. So it's like uh, it's almost a write off next year in terms of the type of injury and rehabbing and coming back and, and the league in full swing at that point. Um, so that's where, if you truly believe in him and he's coming back and will have no uh, no repercussion from the injury, 
two years from now, um, see if you can get him at a at a decent deal where where you can say okay that that's a bargain when he's actually playing, um, and then do it that way. Otherwise, like I said, uh, it's a little easier to squeeze a guy you know is not playing uh, for extended period of time, um, and then then go that route. But again, it, it's a very tough situation, and it's a it's a shitty situation to be in as a player as well, um, especially coming to a new team and being somewhat liked and and producing kind of where you expect it, maybe a little bit above, and, and then going down with, with something as serious as this. Uh, before I let you go, uh, the Stanley Cup was also handed out this week as we spent so much time talking about uh, Canuck stuff. 9-3 in the final. Uh, just thoughts on Vegas winning? Yeah, I know that result screams uh, January 11th, not June 11th. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was it was yeah. very one-sided. That, that uh, There was no question Florida... Florida had no business uh, at that point. They were out of uh, jam juice and, and health by the time uh, the, the final really rolled around. Um, Vegas was too good, too deep, uh, too talented uh, on pretty much every position. Um, and Borowski was human again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it, it was a little bit tough because you like the final to be a, a grueling series as well. And go a little bit deeper. Um, but again, this could have been over in four as well if Florida hadn't gotten a little lucky there. Um, that being said, you saw afterwards they did have some some key injuries um, that was impacting them as well. But but that's part of hockey. That's where you need some depth. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it, the, the right team won. There, there's no question about that. I mean, I mean, we hear this every year, and every year we kind of gasp and, you know, how these guys played through the pain and these injuries. I mean, you know the extent of the... Uh, Kachuk injury, right? I mean, broken sternum. He needed help getting his equipment up. His brother needed to help him get out of bed just so he could play. What was it in game four? And he didn't play in game five, obviously. I mean, did you see stuff like that as well when you were playing where guys are in that much distress and still trying to find a way to play? Yeah, that that, point, that stuff only happens in the playoff where you're playing with stuff you shouldn't be. But, but yeah, we've had lots of guys playing with broken broken bones, whether it's toes, fingers, stuff like that. Once it started hearing about a rip, like you can't, you can't play with <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, there, there's a reason he did. He's not playing and not coming back. Like he get bumped, uh, breathing, uh, turning, twisting, everything hurts. Um, but but it's one of those things you never know when you're going to get an opportunity again. And Florida might never play in the, in the Stanley Cup playoff again while he's there. Um, I mean, they got very lucky. The East is looking looking very good. Some very good young teams. Um, so, so, again, you never know if you're going to get an opportunity. So you will do just about anything in order to, to play these games to help your team. The question becomes, when are you when are you actually helping and when are you hurting mm-hmm. more? Um, and that's obviously why he's sitting out game five and, and not playing. But, again, you, you, you tip your cap when when you hear about players playing through some of these things because you know how much uh, uh, bruise hurts on your yeah. foot when you're trying to tie your skates and, and then guys are skating around with uh, with broken bones. So it's uh, it, it's a rough sport. There's a reason it's the hardest trophy to, to win in, in sport. Um, so, yeah, you... Uh, it's impressive. Yeah, it certainly is. And Yannick, you're impressive as always. Love the insight, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, sounds good, you guys. All right, thanks. Uh, that is Yannick Hansen. Woo! Always great talking to Yannick, man. Um, and, man, he, he's so honest. I just love the the honesty yeah. that he has. You know, I mean, he's very much like Jan Moss from Ted Lasso. You know, just like <laughs> completely honest about everything. Just doesn't care. Just matter of fact. Just, it is what it is. What yeah. you want me to, it's truth. It's the truth. What do you want me to say? You know? <laughs>
Facts only. Uh, that's pretty much what it is. All right. Uh, we are way late. Uh, thanks for all your text messages. We're going to hit some t- questions as well. I mean, we, we touched on Oliver Ekman Larson getting bought out in the first segment, broke out what it meant, letter, uh, the intent of it and everything. We talked about some options. But also, let's talk about what this means for the blue line. What does it mean for current players on the roster, players the team hasn't yet si- haven't yet signed, and also for players on the team currently, especially a guy like Philip Hironik? What does this kind of say about the player he might play with? And we'll get to a lot more about what's next for your Vancouver Canucks right here on Canucks Central. Uh, I love it. Fast Eddie Gregory back in on Canuck Central. It is Sat and Bick Nazar. And as always, get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Eddie, tell us what you were thinking about. All the thank you graphics that the Canucks have sent out over the last six months or so to players and personnel and Mixing it in with the uh, infamous thank you song by Alanis Morissette. Uh, you need somebody to make this a thing on the internet. Might be a project for somebody. Go figure. Thank you, Jim, trending on Twitter. And we've, we've gotten a lot That's of... That's the high note. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of thank you, Jim, texts as well. 650, yeah. 650. Yeah. And the Canucks also said thank you, Oliver. That was all on their Twitter account. They sent a big thank yeah. you out to Oliver Ekman Larson for the two years he spent in Vancouver and paid handsomely for the two years he spent in Vancouver. Uh, and he does become an unrestricted free agent after the Canucks bought out Oliver Ekman Larson and the four years remaining on his contract. All right, uh, we have the mailbag coming up at 5:30. So if you have questions for your for the mailbag, you can also get them into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650, and that's coming up at 5:30. Now, uh, before we get to the mailbag, Bick, um, we are going to kind of break down what this Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, buyout means for Vancouver in terms of moves that can happen next, but also what it means for certain players on the mm-hmm. roster. Um, but before we do that, let's run through some of the text messages because people have been, been sending some thoughts oh, yeah. in and we, we, we promised we'd get to some of them. Some of them so we are going to get to some of them now. And what have the people been saying to our Dunbar Lumber text? Uh, so Tim texted in earlier saying, mm-hmm. they are going after Eric Carlson now. Ha ha. And then we just got a text right now. It's like, do they have room for Eric Carlson? <laughs> Uh, I don't think that's... I don't think Eric Carlson is the type of defenseman they need. Again, think of what they have. They have Offensive Demon already and Hughes and Hironik. Hironik can play the PK as well, but they have guys who fill the power play role already. They can't have another power play defenseman, really. I mean, in terms of somebody making a lot of money. And and but if there's an injury, Christian Willannon has played power play and yeah. succeeded, obviously, at the AHL level. If Ethan Barrett comes back, he can fill in on the power play. So they have that type of yeah. of player. And I'm sure it's Jack Rathbone. And I'm sure Akito Rorosi can figure out the power play as well because apparently he figures everything out and yeah, crushes he might. it. Well, I know. And, you know, we're going to get to some of these guys and what it means in terms of, you know, vying for spots. But in terms of top four spots, like we're talking about, they still have to make somebody significant added to the team and if they add somebody significant. Mm-hmm. And even on the right side, I mean, again, going back to what we mentioned before, they're in the market for legitimate top four defensemen who can defend and PK on the left side and the right side, depending on, you know, what you can kind of add and what can happen. And Tambir says, Brett Pesce is what the doctor ordered for this team. I agree. I agree, I agree completely. He is what the doctor has ordered. And Carolina has said that they are going to trade him if they can't sign him to an extension. 
it just might be cost prohibitive yes. for Vancouver. Like he's a guy you have to give up a first round pick for. Now, if you acquire more things, then okay, we can have that conversation. So but the thing I don't want to see, and I, I've not wanted to see since going back to December, don't go into deficit. Yes. And so right now they they again they've obviously given up a couple of picks, but they have seven picks this upcoming draft. You don't need to trade your first to go then acquire another first. If you get a first somehow, I don't know how they would do it, but I'm just saying, don't go into deficit right now. Right. Yeah, if you can add a first-round pick in a different way, then perhaps. But Bresh Pesce, I agree, but I think the cost for those types of players via trade might be prohibitive. Now, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be prohibitive, Bic. Vancouver now with this regime has been reluctant to trade draft picks so far, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, first-round draft picks, let's, let's phrase it that way. If they hold on to the 11th pick at 11 and make the selection, that means last year, Lakira Mackey, 15th, 11th overall pick this year, would they be open to trading next year's first-round pick on condition? Yeah, probably. Like, hey, top 12 protected for next season? Would they just be- to be clear, you asked me, are they open to? Not not what I do. No, it. and again, we're, answering yes. que- we're also answering questions yes. here, just text questions and comments and before we get to the mailbag. But just kind of, it's about possibilities yes. here, right? If they're willing to do that, then they could get into the Brad Pesce market. It's a big question. I don't know if they are willing to do mm-hmm. that. I think those types of additions, I think you're a bit away from that. I think you might be at a spot where you can make that type of trade, maybe as soon as this year's deadline, depending on how this draft goes and what other moves you make and what else you can come, come away with. I think you're six months early on that type of addition via trade at the very least. Uh, 650, 650 comment. Bernie from Kelowna. Canucks need a top-end tough defender and a third-line center. And Keefe texting in. Ryan O'Reilly, question mark. Well, you know what? They have the cap space to go after him. Now they do. <laughs> now they do. Now, it depends on how much of it you want to burn in one spot and everything. But again, depending on what else you do, you have options all of a sudden. This is why the sequencing of like what type of transaction you do and what uh, role you're trying to mm-hmm. fill first. Let's just say in a the world they, they lose a trade and it's Besser for a third pairing right side D-man. But you clear up $4 million. Right. Now, if you're going to go spend on a Ryan O'Reilly, okay, you get your third line center, and now the, pro- the the only thing you have to solve, obviously, the left side, but you you get four million dollars to solve multiple problems yes. now. So the cap space is an asset in its own way to help you solve these multiple problems. Yes. No. I, I and I'm and I completely agree with that. If you, that's why. You know, like we mentioned in the first segment, if you missed the first hour of the show, make sure to go check it out on the podcast. Because now, if you're able to solve another problem on the roster with a with a player, whether it's Besser for a defenseman or mm-hmm. Garland for a third line center or whatever else you, you may think of in terms of a roster swap, then the cap space that is left over can now be addressed for two different needs. And all of a sudden, you fill three needs. It's not that easy. Like it sounds easy that way. You still have to pull off another trade. But to the point that uh, Christopher, the Bow fan, makes, will the OEL buyout make it a lot easier to move Garland and or Besser now that now that they're no longer over a barrel with cap space? And it's for the mailbag, but we'll answer it here because I think I think that's a big part of this trade that Vancouver didn't have any leverage in trade talk because they're so up against it that teams were squeezing them for assets. Now that they have cap space, that type of leverage doesn't exist. Like Vancouver doesn't have to trade somebody. Like they don't have to, right? Like they don't have to trade somebody. I don't know if that changes things materially in a huge way, but I do think all of a sudden it would allow you to make the types of swaps we talked about for Besser and Garland. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, why not try on Taze? 
Uh, we got a text earlier about Devontae's. I think that's asking about Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, third line center Jonathan Taves. I'm, I'm out. The thing is, I'm like, good. you can't pay him any money, and you're not even sure how much he can play. I mean, he's had so many issues since coming back from COVID. Uh, he he had a, he was really sluggish when playing. You can't. Ex- the thing is, you can't rely on it. Yeah. And I, and I think I'm out on it as well. This one, in reality, what can you get for four million dollars? A lot. Quite a bit. Yeah, it depends on what you go after, though. I mean, yeah. if you, you know, um, I think for $4 million, you can certainly get the type of winger this team needs. You can get a third-line center in free agency. I mean, you can go out and get I mean, the... Philip Ronick makes $4.4 million. Yeah. Now, hey, in free agency, it's hard to get a guy like him for $4.4 sure. or $4 million. So, I mean, in terms of free agency or in terms of, you know, adding a guy for $4 million, you can get, you know, you can solve your third-line center issue. You can solve your left-hand D problem. Like, you can solve that type of player with the right, if you identify the right guy for it. Now, um, Chris and Surrey and both for Burnaby, same kind of question. Can you make a swap with Nashville for Ryan Johansson, that type of winger? Yeah, I mean, think of it that way. Whether it's Ryan Johansson, Colton Sissons. It's probably a bit too rich for me with... Uh... Johansson, I agree yeah. with Johansson because not only the contract too big, he's coming off an Achilles tear. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what is he going to be when he comes back? It's too much risk. But again... The spirit of the idea, I totally understand what, what everybody's kind of getting at here. Keep your thoughts coming in, and if you have questions, more question, more questions, sign them for the mailbag, and we'll get to those coming up in the mailbag in a little bit. But, you know, as far as, Bick, what this means for players on the roster, let's start with the big player, Philip Peronik. And you know what's positive for him? He gets to come to Vancouver and not be asked to make something out of Oliver Ekman-Larsson. Genie, you're free now. <laughs> like, th- like that's what's happened here for Philip Ronick. We don't have to have the discussion of, is he the guy that unlocks the best version of yeah. OEL or a passable version of OEL? It's like Good Branson when he came to Vancouver. Can he make t- right, can Ben Hutton and Good Branson make yeah. each other? It's like, come on. Just now he gets to be Philip Ronick. Yes. You don't have to be the guy that has to bring along Oliver Ruckman Larson to say, hey, we're getting to a baseline of a second pair. Now the second pair can hopefully, if they acquire a good left hander, thrive. And you know what else you can do? You can explore the idea <laughs> of Hughes and Aronic together. Because now you don't need someone to play with Oliver Ruckman Larson. That completely changes it. You could even approach us and say, do we try to find a lefty for six months to play with Tyler Myers? Yeah. You could approach it that way. And like the pairing I've always looked at when trying to compare a, a Hughes and Heronic pairing has been Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis. Right. Now it's like you, you don't have to split these guys up if, if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's still fine. But you, you can look at this completely different because he's not tethered to Oliver ekman Larson now moving forward. Yeah, and, and I think that frees him up absolutely. And in theory, when you look at the types of players they are, Hughes and Hirona could fit really well. But the only way you can do that is by adding one big-time defender sure. that can carry a deep pair or a couple of defensemen. But you know what's a good idea? Pair. Getting a big-time defender. Yeah, no, exactly. It would be, be awesome <laughs> to get a number two or a number three. But, Vic, but I mean, here. again, I, I keep citing back, you know— it, what we can cite is action, and what we can cite is interest, mm-hmm. right? We can talk about their action so far and their interest so far. Their interest in Damon Severson, to me, before all this kind of went down with him, him in Columbus, at least hypothetically, if they got the free agency and they could clear the cap space, signifies to me that they're looking for a big-time addition to the mm-hmm. back end. So, like, for me, like, the, the, what they're trying to add here, whether it's a lefty or righty, is somebody who can anchor a deep pair. You know, whether it's to play with Hughes or whether it's his own deep pair. Like, mm-hmm. if you have three legitimate top four defensemen, that means you have a super pair and you have a 
and a second pair. That means your top four is figured out. With three guys, it's figured out because one of those guys can carry a five or carry a four five. You know what I mean? And, and make it work. And even look at Vegas and how they're built. Like it's not like they're all four of the top four guys are true top four. It's like three. It's like two really good top mm-hmm. four guys. The other guys are like fives. You know, four fives kind of that, that fit certain needs type of deal. So you can build it out that and way. And again, it's like Braden McNabb five on five. You would say. It's like a, he's like a third pair defenseman. He five gets on carried, five. but yeah. again, he has a role exactly. where he's really good on the yes. PK. So that's what you're looking at. Like again, Ben Hutton played some games for them, not a lot, but again, it's 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 that. It's if you got three studs that you can rely upon, then the other three suddenly it's can have different conversations you could and i think that's why it's important to get one more impact defenseman who's good defensively and good on the pk and again i just want to say like i like nick Hague, i like zach white of course like, they're but, good players but it's it's nice when they're paired with shay theodore or exactly. Alex Petrangelo. exactly and that's the thing and if you can get a another guy into the mix here that kind of approximates you know what heronic brings you then then you got something on your back end because what i see also happening is last year at the end of the season Forget the run, but I think one thing that impressed your organization, you saw it by virtue of them recommitting to these players, was how the defense played when all the guys were injured. Like, they were genuinely impressed by Christian Wolanin. Mm-hmm. They were genuinely genuinely impressed by Guillaume Brisebois, right? Akito Hirose, my boy Hirose. I was going to wait. I was you know? like, is he going to mention him? Oh, I mean, hey, they haven't committed. He they have to sign him still. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't have a contract for next season. So Hirose is a guy who's in the mix. Like, between those three players... If Hirose was UFA, how much would he <laughs> We didn't get Barbashev money. Could the Canucks afford him if he was UFA? <laughs> uh, no, I think I think with him, uh, the most important thing I, I think with these three guys is I, I believe they look at it and say, and I'm not saying they're not going to go and sign another cheap lefty defenseman, mm-hmm. a veteran to come and fight for a spot in training camp or whatever. I mean, you can always have depth and, and guys fighting for spots, but you're probably at a space where you're not looking to add anyone's to carry your third pair. It's about let's let's get another guy for a top four. Let's figure a top four out and internally. Wolanin, Brisebois, Hirose, best man wins the lefty D spot. Oh, and Jack Rathbone. Forgot about Jack Rathbone. Mm-hmm. He's in the mix. You know what You know what the OEL trade also does, Bick? It opens up, opens up a pathway for Jack Rathbone, potentially. Sure. Because Jack Rathbone, how could you have Jack Rathbone on this team next season with Hughes and OEL in front of him? They need someone who can PK. He can't PK. OEL can't PK. Right? You couldn't have a offensive. You couldn't, you couldn't, have, you couldn't shelter your third pair defenseman in an offensive role. With with, right. with with the way it was built. Now, you can not only shelter an offensive guy like Rathbone if he breaks through finally and he can get experience, but now you can also shelter any of the young D who get in. And you can bring them into a role in the third pair, which I think they should do this year, one of these guys, and see if they can figure it out over time. So I think internally, what this trade also does, it, it actually gives these guys an opportunity internally to have a fresh start like Heronic, but the young guys we mentioned... Now there's a home for them potentially on the third pair. Four guys for one spot, and honestly, you'll probably take and seven spot too. You, so you'll probably take two of these guys. Yeah. but again, that's a real competition all of a sudden. Yeah, and if you want to keep pushing guys to get better, I imagine there's four players right there that are thinking going into their summer thinking, "Hey, there's a spot now. Hey, if I really shape up and I push it." I'm going to try to make this team recognize me. Because if they had Hughes and OEL here, they would have been forced to find a lefty defenseman who's a veteran who fits a role, which mm-hmm. means it would have blocked any of these guys from making yep. the team or having any chance of making the team or being any sort of, you know, con- making any sort of contributions. And and, and whether any of these guys work out or not, Bick, who knows? And we'll see. I have high hopes for Hirose one day. And, you yeah. know, I love his. And even Christian Wolanin, we know who, 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 who we have been impressed by, a bit older, but showed a lot of potential in terms of, you know, being a competent NHL player at the very least. But that's what they're going to have to find. 
we can talk all we want about the trades and the things they have to add. In order to take the next step as well, they're going to have to find internal solutions. They're going to have to find and hit on one of these young players and prospects they've brought in because that's how you become a better team. It's one thing to go out and, like we mentioned, get the third line center, get the other defenseman, go get another winger even. But what has to really backfill that and push everything is having that wave come up internally. And that's something you also have to have room for. Throw in a... Not immediately, but just the overall development of like a DPD as well now, yeah. right? So yeah, in a couple of years, that's another consideration too. The other thing I kind of like about this today, Sat, is you know trying to just look at the Rutherford builds in the past to mm-hmm. what they're trying to do now. They've always spent more on this current defense than Rutherford has done in Carolina or Pittsburgh. Yes. So with the buyout then today. Uh, as it stands right now, again, they obviously have to make improvements, but as it stands uh, right now, they're spending about 25% uh, on the blue line. That's that's including a Tucker Pullman. But like once Myers goes out and they start to build this out, it'll probably rest closer to where Rutherford has traditionally done it, and it's around 28%. 28-29% is traditionally how much of the D yeah. money has been allocated towards the cap. They were way overinflated before. So now this gives them a chance to start building it more in the image of what they want to do. And part of it is cheaper contracts. Like you yes. mentioned, these guys that are coming in and competing for the spot. And then where do you try to find your next guy that uh, is, is essentially going to take up the Tyler Myers money, basically? Exactly. And I think that that's the guy you can, I mean, with some flexibility, you can you start looking at it now. And by next year, the money frees up and, and you have the possibilities there. But, you know, I think the... I think having somebody internally emerge, not only this season, but long-term is what's necessary. And, you know, at the very least, and, and this is one thing we can talk about, like, hey, last year was tough, obviously, and a lot of mistakes have happened, and a lot of things were not handled well, as we've discussed, obviously, throughout throughout the year or so. But they have put themselves in a position now, Bick, where they actually do, they've added to the prospect pool. Mm-hmm. You know, they've added... Uh, some extra, even though they're not from the baseline. From the baseline, again, yes. it's just, like the Canucks were so bereft of having. Like we're talking about. So when it came to Vancouver's top ten prospect list before last season, so so looking at their like top ten prospect list right now, Bick, I'd say, um, let's see here. Uh, da, da, yeah, so I'd say Ratu, Lakaramaki, Patterson. You put uh, Philip Johansson. Arshdeep Baines, mm-hmm. right? That's five prospects who are in your top 12 that they've added. That, right. that, and that's not to say like, oh, this is a great list all of a sudden. But within a year, they've doubled their prospect pool in terms of guys who can give you a little bit of something or some some sort of intrigue in, in high level. Now, some of them were draft picks that you had or whatever, and but they're showing some potential. But even get, adding a guy like Jonathan Bloom, for instance, Did right? you mentioned Philip Johansson? Philip Johansson. I mentioned him as okay, well, right? Yeah. And even Niels Oman, who's playing in the NHL. Yeah. Like, he'd be on this list if he wasn't playing the NHL He's probably already. a graduate, but yeah. yeah. But still, yeah. But, you know, but somebody they brought in. So they've at least added some guys in here who not only can vie for a spot, like Oman, can he take do more? Can Philip Johansson do more? You know, we mentioned the prospects on the left side that they brought in and you know Hirose too can one of these guys Cole McWhorter too on the right side now they've added some players into the list like you have something here now right and it, because you didn't give up all these assets to go out and get rid of cap space now within the next you know five or six months here Bic 
that big time defender you're trying to add, that big 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 time impact player you're trying to add, like you have some prospects, you have some capital to play with. And I'm not talking about going and get you know a 30 year old 40 you know 30 year old guy or anything, but you know a young player who can actually come in and do something for you. If you're getting someone that's 30 and up, okay. I want something back. I want I want prospects and picks back. Oh, in the I, I, I don't I don't even mean it <laughs> like in a trade. Just if they went shopping a free agency thirty and up, I only want to see one year deals, or they better been a, been a stud at some point in their career. Yes, like, like there's some reclamation ability. Like we mentioned Ryan O'Reilly. If you're going to dedicate three years to something like that, four years something like that, at least that's someone Con Smythe winner. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Aside from that, it still better fit the age range. Yes, of a Hronik, of like what you're trying to build. I, I do want to put that out there too, because I wonder if they get over eager. Because there's still people people that are texting in, like, okay, they're going to burn up the cap space and they'll spend it recklessly. And I understand the skepticism. Look, there hasn't been success here in Vancouver because there's been reckless moves over the past ten years. But if if you're going to explore thirty age thirty guys, that's what I want to see. One year. Or studs. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you on, on, on that as well. All right, man. Uh, we've been breaking this down extensively on the show. Oliver Ekman Larson getting bought out. Raymond, Vic's explaining Jay Beagle right now. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Like, you know, like if Jay Beagle for a million bucks. If he was, if he was still, if he, he was, won face offs, man. <laughs> on the PK, most the notably. PK. Uh, no, just uh, just jokes, just jokes. All right. Uh, appreciate the text. We'll try to get some more of them. But you know what's, what we have next? It is the mailbag next right here on Canuck Central.